0: Earlier this year, the world looked on in shock as a consortium of the world's biggest football clubs, including six of England's richest teams, attempted an aggressive and ill-advised coup of the world's most popular sport. The proposed European Super League gave all football fans a deep sense of unease. What had been known for decades, but perhaps not truly acknowledged until now, was that football at the highest level had become little more than a plaything for the planet's wealthiest men. With that has come greater and greater polarisation between the rich and the poor, a disconnect between fans and the players they adore, and a desire to maximise profits above all else. I'm sure I'm not alone when I say the proposed Super League was met by little more than a shrug in my house. In all honesty, I was happy that the cat was finally out of the bag. Take your ball and sod off, I thought. My allegiances with football have always been less about the sport and more about everything good that comes with it the friendship, the camaraderie, the sense of unconditional inclusion. Now, it would of course be disingenuous of me to suggest that I, as a white heterosexual man in my mid-twenties, has ever had to truly deal with exclusion in any real-world sense. It would also be naive of me to suggest that football has always been a place where everyone feels welcome, far from it. But I firmly believe that football, more so than anywhere else, has the power to enact social movements that encourage better inclusion for all. With that in mind, I introduce you to the Football Without Everyone is Nothing series, brought to you in association with Man Markin. Every day this week, I'll be speaking to different individuals and organisations, all of whom have used football as a vehicle to improve social inclusion. As we all well know, social inclusion is a key component of improving our collective mental health. So that will be a crucial part of our focus as well. Today, in episode three, We'll be speaking to Simon Kay from Talking Cherries. If you'd like to get involved this week, you can, of course, find us on Twitter at marking underscore man is our handle. And don't forget to use the hashtag football without everyone is nothing. I'm now going to hand you over to Simon and I'll see you briefly on the other side.
1: Yeah, I'm Simon Kay. I'm a Bournemouth fan. I've been a Bournemouth fan for the best part of 30 years. I'm also, <clears throat> for my sins or other fans don't like or want me to be, I'm the founder of Talking Cherries.
0: <laughs> and and when did you stop supporting Bournemouth? Or do you remember like your first game, or when you first started going?
1: I remember. I mean, my dad was a Southampton fan, uh, but I never went to a game there. I think I was about six or seven. The first game I went, I can't remember who we played, but it was some amazing win, 4-3 or whatever it was, but I was quite young. I got properly into it when I was about 13 or 14 and I've been on and off a fan, sometimes a season ticket holder, sometimes not, depending on personal circumstances and budgets and studying and whatever else comes along. So now I'm in my 40s, so that's probably 30 plus years of being a fan. And
0: we've, kind of just before we started recording, we're talking a little bit about Bournemouth's kind of Ascension to the air uh, to the Premier League from the from the lower leagues and and Tranmere's kind of <laughs> to journey the other direction really but you know it's it's always hard to pinpoint one specific moment but if you had to what's been your kind of most memorable memory as a as a Bournemouth fan?
1: There's probably two and I can't divide them. One is obviously Steve Fletcher's goal against Grimsby for yep. ultimate survival, and then the second is as you go through your life being a football fan you don't only suck up your own team's experiences you suck up others some you see on tv etc and one of the experiences that I always wanted to personally experience if I could was the change in circumstances in the last minute of the game and you get that sense of the crowd noise and whispering of something big has changed somewhere that really helps your own personal club scenario and that happened of course when we won the league away at Charlton when we got promotion to the Premier League because obviously Sheffield Wednesday scored a last-minute equaliser at Watford. We were winning comfortably 3-0, could have been 7 or 8. And then you get the whispers and the little cheer goes up. Everyone starts checking their phones. (laughs) And it was one of those things. So I think there's two, one for the sheer joy of survival and one for the sheer joy of what the hell, we've just won the Blooming League in the
0: last minute. <laughs> That's a great one. I've not even really thought of that as a, as a concept. I don't think I've ever experienced that. We had, Tramia stayed up at Stockport one year and we needed some results to go our way, but I don't think it was, I think they were quite comfortably going our way by the end. But I don't think I ever, I do remember us thinking that someone else was winning when we were trying to stay up one year and somebody shouting that Oldham had scored or something that was going in our favour, everyone going mad, and then someone else going, no, they haven't scored. (laughs) But I don't think I've ever had it. I do remember that. I remember Sheffield Wednesday fans went absolutely postal behind the Watford goal as well, didn't they? Oh, and
1: I think that's why there'll always be a special connection that may not have (laughs) been special before, but that's how weird, strange footballing bonds happen between fans. Um, yeah, the fact that when you watch that back or you got on your social media after the game and you saw the fans sharing that moment from their perspective and how crazy they went. Because to them, of course, Watford for the bigger team. Yeah. And back then, Bournemouth were like little old Bournemouth mm. getting to the Premier League. So everybody that time was cheering for us.
0: And there's always that shout um, and froider element that football fans enjoy of. can Even if you've got no sort of stated rivalry with a team, if you're in their ground and you can stick one over on them, then it's it's ideal, isn't it?
1: Absolutely. So that was uniquely special for that element of we'd won the game. We thought we were getting promoted. We already knew that we were going to finish second. But the fact that in the 93rd minute or whatever it was, that the New hue moment happened, it just added something else to it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, that's a really good one that I've not even really thought about. That is a concept. That's great. Um, and we're obviously here to talk about talking cherries, which you which you alluded to in the in the introduction, Simon. Sort of why, when, how did talking cherries start, and and what is talking cherries for
1: people who don't know? So I'll answer those in reverse order. Talking cherries came about because in <clears throat> 2019, uh, a Bournemouth fan sadly took his own life and being quite active within the social media community, mainly on, on Twitter, on the ASCB hashtag, I saw the outpouring of genuine emotion from fans. And being a kind of observer organizer and being naturally interested in mental health, my own journey as everybody has, etc., I looked at that and thought, how can we harness this to make a difference for the next person or the next fan, if ever they end up in a situation and they're having a tough time, but significantly, how we can harness the football conversation to enable other conversations to start. So that's where it began. And originally, the concept was to be men's mental health, it's evolved now to be anyone and everybody. But to get some idea as to what the reaction might be from some other fans, because obviously for it to work or to have a chance of working, you need more fans to get involved and to be part of that conversation. So I started having conversations with other fans where I sit, a couple of guys, three or four, uh, suddenly, very quickly. And I was actually taken aback by that myself. People that I already knew from going to different games or whatever, asked a couple of people away games suddenly I had people saying yep love the idea love to get involved if there's anything in my these are how other people spoke anything in my personal experience or life experience that I can use to help another fan if ever they needed to talk to somebody they'd be willing to offer that but using obviously football at the heart of the conversation and then seeing where it goes so I suddenly had uh, people who'd have gambling problems alcohol problems Uh, people who'd lost friends or relatives to suicide etc etc and then it kind of evolved from there it then became a case of the analogy I tend to use is almost like a puzzle before you can fill in the middle you've got to get the corners sorted out well you could call it a football pitch if you want because we're talking football same kind of thing but that would mean different elements coming together but it would be driven by the fans and a conversation between fans That meant talking to the club, to the Community Sports Trust, to local mental health service providers, the university, and all sorts. And cutting a very long story short, um, that took us to kind of roughly where we are now. Um, Lots of different conversations, lots of organisation, and just getting the conversation going, because it's amazing what you can achieve once you open the door to a conversation.
0: Absolutely. And did did you find, I mean... Oh, the, the, the podcast obviously that the, this podcast that we generally do is centered around encouraging men to, to become more comfortable talking about their mental health so a, a very similar uh, ethos to what to what you're look you, you were originally looking to do as well in terms of the 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 response that you got you've talked about some positive ones there did you get any uncomfortableness at all or any pushback or anything at all that came with that or was it generally all positive
1: In the first phases of talking about organising it and making it happen, obviously depending on who you talk to, I think talking about mental health and opening up about it off the cuff is not an easy thing for guys to do. (laughs) I think that's a given. But because it was about bringing the conversation together as almost a unit, as fans together, it wasn't very individual if that makes sense. (laughs) So any kind of pushback if there ever was any i'd say the most frustrating thing was actually where there were limitations of what we could do with the club when they were a premier league team because of connections to outside entities Mm -hmm. it was very complicated because i think that when when you get into these things you don't realize some of the complications that exist structurally Mm -hmm. that's not really the question you asked the pushback was minimal
0: well, that's always good to hear. And was the club outside of those? I mean, I, mean I, I know the type of thing that you're talking about. I mean, we've, in terms of trying to do interviews with footballers at certain clubs, there is always difficulties in terms of who you're talking to, what they're allowed to say commercially and, and that type of thing. In terms of on a, on a practical basis, so for what you guys do as Talking Cherries with regards to starting those conversations, what are the type of things, type of activities that you do?
1: So, obviously, originally when we came up with the idea and trying to put this together as as a group of fans, it was centred around the matchday experience and other experiences thereafter. But, obviously, the COVID situation that we've all lived through really had a significant impact on that. Mm-hmm. Some of those things, for example, which we still hope to do, one of the original things around how would this work was to make sure that in every side of the ground wherever every stand there would be every match day uh, a mental health first aider who we'd got trained it was a talking cherries mental health first aider who you'd be able to identify so if ever anybody is having a chat as we do under the ground with a pint and a pie or whatever it is and we get the sense that someone's not okay you know beyond the normal or what might be reasonably expected of the people that we know because the unique thing about the people you hang out with at football you start talking about all sorts of things that you might not talk to your mother about or your sister or your brother you kind of get comfortable with that tribal element of what football brings which is incredibly not unique to football but I think it's unique to any sport where you've got lots of people coming together to cheer on their team whether it's (laughs) football rugby ice hockey etc so there weren't there weren't really any issues at all, you know, with, with taking that further forward.
0: And and you were talking about obviously being impacted by by COVID for obvious reasons because it's removed the match day for a long time. What type of things were you doing in the interim period before you could get back to the match?
1: So after we couldn't do that, and also that we couldn't do other activities that we were going to do in the week. Uh, We'd spoken to the club or to the community trust and we were going to do things like having evenings where we get together and the whole idea was to get together and talk about football, but also maybe have someone from the sports science team come in and talk about other aspects of the game that you might not hear about all the time that connect to the conversation about well-being, whether that's in body, whether that's in mind. So what we had to do when all of that was taken away as a plan, uh, we moved to Zoom and started having conversations on Zoom, and then more recently we started trying out walk and talks. The Zooms were interesting to start with because it was actually quite difficult to nail down the tone or the direction Mm -hmm. of those chats. What became quite clear very quickly is that focusing on football and literally just checking in on the people that are there as to how they are was the best thing we could do because by that time we'd started that we'd got much more of a structure in place. So that the puzzle analogy that I gave earlier about the corners, by the time we'd started opening ourselves up to have conversations with people, whether that was in person or, or via Zoom, we'd sorted our structures out. You know, we'd had we'd had donations made to us by anonymous benefactors who'd heard what we were doing in, in social media. And we use that to get these fans treating the mental health first aid. Uh, We're not a charity. We're not registered as anything. Uh, We often get asked, even when we joined the the FSA about becoming a full member and what you need. And we basically said, we don't want to be that. We don't want to be too formal because sometimes making things too formal can stop people being willing to talk. Structure is important, but sometimes no structure is important as well. So whenever people have offered us money, we managed to get the community sports trust to ring fence that money for us. And then they pay for the things such as mental health first aid training that we want to have done for the fans. But the tone of the Zooms on balance, it had to be led by football, but the structure was then available if people ever needed it. And we have a plan of how to deal with that. You know, we've now had people contact us through social media, through emails, through all sorts of things. And, and we're just there to be part
0: of the conversation. And why do you think it's been kind of important to run it through the Football Club? I mean, you said there with the Zoom chats, the the idea was, you know, you would you would almost use football as the, the vehicle, as, as we kind of call it, to, to start that conversation and it would lead from there. Why do you think it was important to use football as that kind of headline?
1: Yeah, I mean... There's kind of two questions. Here. The first is in terms of using, using the football club, using the, the, the team and the club as the conversation starter mm-hmm. and talking about football, as I touched on earlier, is the natural groundbreaker for many a conversation. I think enabling people to open up about how they're genuinely feeling often needs an initial conversation about something where there's almost a shared interest. The fact that you have that with football and you can talk about anything on the field, off the field, etc. It's just a lovely way in to talk, but it's also a way out. If ever anyone does start to open up and they start to feel a bit anxious or awkward about it, we can go back to talking about football. Mm-hmm. But also, if they do want to go further, Obviously, our mental health first aiders who then come together and help each other out if there is somebody that wants to open up. You know, we can take that conversation to the next level if we need to. Uh, and then obviously, then there's safeguarding and signposting beyond that, which is why it was important to have a team of mental health first aiders as well.
0: Absolutely. Have you ever, have you had any incidents where you've had to refer people on or take use the, the sort of safeguarding and signposting that you've got in place or... If you, you know, obviously, thankfully, it would be nice if you wouldn't have had to get to that position at this point. But I suppose it's inevitable at some point.
1: We've had, I, I certainly know one where I've had to refer it to the club because there was a connection to club history, if I can put it that way, <laughs> not in terms of the story of the club, but people connected to the club. We haven't yet had to pass that on. One of the things that we felt would be the case if we managed to get these kind of conversations moving. It's almost to think of it like an 80-20 perspective. Not that it always is, but we collectively felt that 80% of the time, if we can be there and catch people at the right time, often that's before they get to a difficult place. And I mean, a really difficult place where they need to be signposted to an alternative provision. Whereas 20% of the time, they may need to have that signposting straight away. So we kind of tend to focus on that 80% thinking. If we can talk football and get people to feel comfortable, more often than not, if you can get a chance to open up and talk about how you're genuinely feeling with people that genuinely care, with people that genuinely have life experience in in the particular situation you're living through. And you can really be there for each other and talk through it. And know that you're part of almost a team. You're part of a community, you're not on your own. You're with other people and you know you're with like-minded people. So we like to think 80% of the time we can nurture that process to enable people to go back into their lives, perhaps not feeling as bad as they thought they might have done using the power of talking about football and everything that we've managed to put together to enable that to be an improvement for them
0: and in terms of for you simon personally i mean you know often with these type of initiatives and it's the same with our podcast there is an element of lived experience that comes with it an element of you know something that that's that you will both be able to provide but also get out of the the sort of the, the the venture as well in terms of for you how have how has it impacted you and, and the way that you look at mental health and the way that you look at your own mental health as well
1: well everyone's obviously had their moments in their life when they've had tough times um, I suffered from one notable bout of depression once which I don't talk about in great deal but I think through life your life pathway takes you through different challenges that Sometimes you embrace and you defeat others. They tend to stick with you. Mm -hmm. And one of those things that stuck with me was being bullied at school and the impact that had on me and how certain life experiences. If I've been having a tough time, it's amazing how you can go back to other periods in your life when you're having a tough time Mm. and how you felt about those and how awkward or difficult they might have been and how even when you would want to open up and talk to somebody, you often wouldn't know where to go. Also, certainly with my main bout of depression that I had, there was often a lot of additional noise. I'll go and talk to so-and-so. Here's this, here's that, here's the other. And I remember that I found that very difficult to deal with. I almost wanted a singular pathway just to talk it through and then find the pathway beyond that. I think that's one of the biggest things for me is that if you're suffering or having a hard time, one of the hardest things to accept or even process is being bombarded with loads of options. Yes. Go and talk to so and so, go and do this, you should be doing that, you should be doing the other, etc. etc. etc.
0: Can feel and, overwhelming, can't it?
1: Yeah, and it piles on top of you and that doesn't help you at all. So I think there are personal journeys that I've had that connect to Cutting through the clutter, if that makes sense, and simplifying the process and using the power of football. To enable, I mean, I'm a sucker for analogies, but you can choose a baseball one, you know, you've got to go around three bases to get a home run with mental health and getting through whatever situation you're going through. Sometimes the hardest is to get to first base, let alone to resolve it, if we can be part of enabling people to feel comfortable to come to first base just by talking football and knowing that there's a pathway to support that that is understanding, that's massive. So that's that's a connection personally. The other connection is where I'd love it to go. I would love it to be an example of how simplicity works. I always want it to be uh, totally natural, for it to feel totally natural, for people not to be told what to do. You know, come along, talk football. If you feel comfortable, there's something you your mind. We can talk to you about that as well. Mm. We've got those pathways. But to, to also take it into other environments, because what we're doing here, it's not complicated. It's just people coming together with a plan and then following that simple plan through. And what we're doing here, it could be in any football club. It could be in any rugby club. It could be in your local cricket club. And I've always felt through my personal journeys playing different team sports, and I've played cricket and football and all sorts of other things, that even if there's somebody in the changing room who looks like they're having a difficult time, if we can find a way to reverse engineer what we're doing into all those different environments, so there's almost people that can be there as early help, who are willing to have that conversation. That would be an amazing thing to achieve so it's not just football but
0: it could go anywhere yeah i think i think that's correct and i think you know i think just just by sheer weight of numbers really with football in this country that it's 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 the perfect breeding ground to have that to start that conversation because you have got you've got the right demographic to start with that need to help as much as much as anybody else and then equally, you've got the volume and numbers to be able to to kind of get a bit of momentum moving and take it into other areas as well. As you say, on your on on your website, you talk about kind of creating safe spaces for fans, and and that's language that I think is is kind of maybe a little bit kind of new for football fans to think about in terms of safe spaces at, at football, and maybe not a concept that a lot of people are kind of sort of used to or, or comfortable with potentially. When you talk about safety, why was that? particularly important for you
1: that's a very good question (laughs) whether or not safe is the right word some of the words when you're trying to put together an initiative like this have to be positive but also sensitive Mm -hmm. if i can put it that way and as much as we can have the 80-20 perspective of we believe we can together make a difference for most people, it has to be safe for those if they want a safe space, if they need a safe space, if they want to feel comfortable with that place. So that's where safety came into it. I still not, I'm not sure whether it's the right word, imbalance, but when you're dealing with such an important subject, mm-hmm. maybe comfortable is a better word. Maybe safe is not. Do you see what I mean? And we can go around in circles with linguistics th- of what's the right word. But I think comfort and safety, I mean, I'm not a walking thesaurus, but you know, I'm pretty sure there'd be five <laughs> to ten words that we could all line up and safety and comfort and a bunch of others would be there with part of that but it's not just safety with regard to the mental health message it's a place you can come and feel comfortable talking football talking with like-minded people and as i said earlier that's often one of the things that excuse me doesn't enable people to open up is that it's the comfortable environment Mm -hmm. and where you're going to go and you're not going to be questioned i mean it was interesting i went onto one of the fsa calls the other day during mental health Week, and I asked a simple question, and this is a really important one because I'm always fascinated as to how the world of mental health is both in authority but also on the pitch, not just for us as fans. And I asked the question of Troy Townsend. I think was asked the question in the end about between the scale of one and ten, with ten being the best and zero or one being the worst. Where is mental health support? within the pyramid structure of football from an organisational perspective. And he was like down at Norton one in his answer. And then there was a conversation with one of the ex-professionals where the question of the changing room and if you've got the loud players within that dressing room and you've got the quieter ones and if some of them make a joke of the quieter player or something about his life or his car or his wife or whatever it might be how nobody was really there for that quiet one it was the banter that took over that's not a healthy place to be either Mm. so it was interesting to talk about where the conversation of mental health is in the changing room but also in structures of authority within the beautiful game that we love so where we are talking like this as fans, or fans that want to talk about this subject, we are actually way ahead than we think we are.
0: Yeah, I th- I, I tend to agree. It's interesting. So the episode that we had on the podcast this week, uh, when we're as we're recording, was with Michael Bennett, who is the director of player welfare at the at the uh, at the PFA, and we were asking him obviously about you know, what, you know, what practical support and logistical support is there for footballers within the pyramid, you know, footballers that are, that are, you know, registered with the PFA in terms of mental health. And it was really interesting because one of the things that I think when we stepped back and had a look at it was, was that for footballers who are registered under the PFA, their ability to access, say, a counsellor or a therapist compared to the average person in the street, is significantly more advanced. So one of the difficult things I suppose to kind of ascertain would be is the culture such that they would be encouraged to do so internally at their clubs. And I think that is where the disconnect is for players, is that I think that the the kind of services are there, but they're not in a position where they feel as though they're able to access them without there being some level of effect to their career on the pitch and i think that's the that's where the disconnect comes
1: yeah and i think that's a fundamental issue when it comes to various different things connected to the game i think we as fans it's not our duty to solve that but i think fans having a conversation about it can be great for players to see Mm. and even though in other aspects of the game I mean, I certainly, having been on the journey as a fan of Bournemouth up to the Premier League and back down or whatever it might be, that connection to players or their willingness to be involved in having signatures or autographs or engaging with the fans has always been maintained probably more as we went into the Premier League than most of the other Premier League sides because of where we'd come from so fast. So there was a connection there. And obviously one of the other things that I tried to do with the journey to set this up is I remember going to... A mental health talk at Bournemouth University where Tyrone Mings and Simon Francis were talking about mental health and there were various different questions asked of them and how they feel about their mental health and obviously Mings is amazing he's obviously now at Villa but in terms of his connection to the mental health conversation he's on another level in terms of his openness and willingness to talk about those things And Frano's great as well. And of course, at that time, he was still playing and club captain and all the rest of it. And my son actually goes to his local academy Ah. and he's often there. And I asked him on numerous occasions about what his views of what we were trying to do. And he fully backed it. He fully endorses the conversation and what we're trying to achieve. And that's part of where we want to go. We want to integrate some of the players into our get togethers just because they want to just because they want to come along and they want to be part of that conversation with like-minded people again, because again, if you take the changing room perspective that I just gave teammates, are your teammates are playing football, doesn't necessarily they're your teammates when it comes to, if you're having a tough time, you might need to be around different people for that.
0: It's, it's, it's interesting really, because I think that's an interesting concept to think of, the players being influenced by something you know the culture within football being influenced by the fans you know who who watch football if you get what i mean that i think for football fans you know if we sit there and go well, we want football to be this type of place or that type of place or whatever it is and fans understanding well, we've got the power and the ability to do that if we if we if we do it if you see what i mean and i think as you say fans having those conversations and almost demonstrating that there is a willingness within this culture and this environment to try and change something. Hopefully those within the game will kind of follow suit with it as well.
1: Yeah. And that's really all we're doing is we're trying, we're not breaking down barriers. We're facilitating a conversation that should be natural.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it sort of removes a little bit of the pressure from it, I suppose, as well, when you put it in that, in that way that it doesn't have to feel like some, some great venture for somebody just to, to be involved it doesn't feel like a huge thing for them.
1: Has, yeah. Has... And, and, and sorry to interrupt you there. I mean, no, no, to, for, for us in terms of how we've positioned this as fans and what the language was or how it came across to people, that's tough, you know, positioning a conversation about mental health when it's not the easiest of conversations for many people to have, it's not the easiest place to start finding that blend of messaging and communication and having Zoom calls and chatting to people and positioning your social media stuff so you get the right blend, that takes time. You know, the tone, you you can't be seen, I don't think as being, we're not a help group. Do you see what I mean? We're not counselors. We know that there are times when we need to open up about how we feel. We know that there are men and women and anybody who feels they can't talk to somebody. We just want to be part of that conversation. We just want to normalize it. And and we want to uncomplicate it and just make it natural. Just as we say, it's like an extension of the match day experience. That's genuinely what we want to do. We want you to feel comfortable. You know, if we have get togethers at the club and the bars open and the club's given us facilities for free, And we've got an ex-player coming in talking about his challenges. Do you see what I mean? Because hearing other people talk about things is hugely powerful. It makes us realise that we're not alone. It makes us realise that things can improve. It makes us realise that maybe things aren't as bad as I thought they were. It makes us connect with other people. It makes us have somebody there who we can pick up the phone to. It makes us enable us to send a DM to somebody. And it just snowballs from there. And the ultimate objective is that it is just what it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, Simon, in terms of your relationship with football, I mean, we we we've started off this interview by talking about when you first started supporting the club, you know, your, your most memorable memory. Has running the group changed your perspective at all on football or football supportership or your relationship with football at all?
1: Oh, it's a good question. And I'd like to say I've prepared an answer. (laughs) But I haven't. Um, I would say football, to me, the community aspect of football, you know, the club, the players and the various different layers that you get within football clubs. I probably used to feel that they were quite distant Mm -hmm. because you can feel that as a fan. You know, you can go along to the game and you love what you see on the field and then you go back to life. And you often question well what's going on here what are they doing about this and how's that going I would say the relationship with the football community has been enhanced tremendously I've met amazing people you know some people who I recently met for a game of golf as soon as lockdown ended and the golf courses opened up people that i would met only through zoom chats and being on podcasts or whatever it might be and then meeting, the human person for the first time. <laughs> so I would say from a club networking perspective and knowing more people, it's been a wonderful experience. So connection to the football community has never felt so good. Connections to understanding how elements within the club work that I would have never have known without doing this has also been a learning curve. But the opportunity and what comes at the end of it is that the whole club community really wants to make a difference and make this a success. But ultimately driven by, to us as fans, the people that matter the most, not being selfish, which is us. Because there is no football without the fans, which is why when it comes to the the FSA or, you know, what's coming in football in terms of community and that conversation that I hope is going to be followed through. There's been many uh, things said about football clubs and structures doing more for fans, engaging fans for a number of years. If that's to change, my relationship with football and this project and where it's going, hopefully can be a benefit. I really hope football improves where it's come from when it comes to these kind of conversations yeah. on all levels.
0: Yeah, I agree and and I suppose then finally, and my last question is kind of related to that with regards to the conversations that have been had in recent times about the relationship between football clubs and their supporters and also more kind of uh, broadly around what football is, like what's it for, like what's the purpose of it outside of just making money for people who already have too much money. Why, or, or do you believe that football is, is kind of uniquely positioned to influence that social change? And if so, why?
1: Oh, you do ask some testing questions,
0: man. <laughs> you really do. It was when you told me you'd had a long day, and I thought, I'm going to really hit him with a few of you. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, gosh. I'm trying to think that one through. You might have to ask me it again while I think. Ask <laughs> it again. Go on, ask it again while I think of the answer.
0: <laughs> I'm not cutting this out, either. It's staying right in. That's fine. No, that's <laughs> fine. I'm literally
1: thinking it and making notes. It's
0: not really. Um, so, do, why or do you believe the football is uniquely positioned to positively influence social change?
1: Yes is the short answer, but it's a root and branch review not just by what I would often term those above the concrete ceiling mm-hmm. I think in many businesses or many structures whether it's football or whatever there's often the ceiling and I think yeah. a lot of fans in football can relate to it is we've had many challenges at every football club you know with boards directors sponsors money men whatever you want to call it where they feel beyond the football community and what it means to be a football fan. So it is uniquely positioned as a sport. It is the biggest sport in the country. That can't be challenged in terms of numbers and interest and viewership. But we really have to break down some of those barriers and as much as people might think or some that they're not there, they are. The uniqueness of what football is, is driven by the fans and by the community aspect of those clubs but it can be restricted by and this isn't in all cases because it's not you can never tarnish everybody in every club with the same brush but greed ulterior motives and that blend that I would say was much better when certainly for Bournemouth when we were in League One League Two you go along to those games where there's 3,000 people and it's pissing it down on the players come out the car park and they're getting wet and everyone's just like just getting by and just enjoying the moment what I call what proper football was or what proper football community should be I'd love it to get back to that I respect a free market I respect money and business and all the rest of it but it's gone too far the other way it needs to be brought back so it is uniquely positioned but I worry that at the higher levels of the game there might be too much in that concrete ceiling to enable it all to be how we might like it to be.
0: Yeah, I agree. I I, I I, kind of, when the whole European Super League thing came about, which is obviously what sort of prompted a lot of these conversations or at least prompted them this time around, my instant reaction was, oh, go on then. <laughs> take, take your ball and start off. Because I'd rather, I, I just think the things that were being talked about, the things that were being threatened, the things that, that people were worried would happen to the game. Most of them, I was thinking, that has already happened. Those things are already happening now. You can't complain about rampant greed when there are footballers being paid a million pounds a week. We're already there. It's already gone. The ship has already sailed for me. And that was why I was like, the, the, the top six in England, ta-da, see you later. Go and take, go and take your, your game and go and play it somewhere else. And we'll carry on playing football because that's what we're interested in. And it's not about the things that you think it's about. And it really isn't. And I think the reaction of most football fans is 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 kind of rammed that home to people. The, the, I think that at some point there was going to be a tipping point, And I think we've reached it. Whether it's too far gone and there's too much money involved at, at certain parts of the game to, for it to be reversed, I think is probably questionable. But I agree with you, Simon. And I think fundamentally there's a game that we, we all fell in love with and it isn't what the people who were in charge of it think that it is.
1: Yep. And without football fans and without community and without those other aspects, there isn't a football club. And that would be a shame. Mm. I mean, I would say, I wouldn't have missed the six. I mean, I, I'm I'm a businessman and I respect, not respect, that's the wrong word. I understand where they're at and where they want to go from a revenue-generating perspective, on a purely revenue-generating perspective. (laughs) If that's where you are, then I'm the same. You can go and you can do that, and good riddance. You know, As a Bournemouth fan or any current position team that's floating around the top of the Championship and six teams (laughs) with the left, I'd have been quite happy, thank you very much. But money would have left the game, which might have meant less things to help the local community, but with those big six, the percentage, as much as they do a great job, and some of those top six do do a great job in their community, I would, I haven't seen the figures, I would imagine that the percentage and impact in comparison to the amount of money those big six are actually now making that goes back into the local community as opposed to salaries and what have you isn't perhaps what it could be because maybe they don't care as much as we need fans or they need fans when you're in league one league two national league
0: yeah and i think it's probably circumstantial for a lot of that as well i think there was a lot of hand wringing by a lot of clubs and um, particularly some of the other premier league clubs who i thought hmm if you'd have been cc'd into that email i think you'd have probably been involved as well but you weren't and i think that's what you're mostly annoyed about and um, i could sit here all night and rant about this with you simon i'll be completely honest with you and um, in terms of wrapping up where can people find out more about uh talking cherries and how can people get involved
1: okay so we have a website at talkingcherries.org.uk we're on twitter at at cherries talking you can also find us on instagram and facebook I would say our most active platform at the moment is Twitter. So if you find at Cherry's Talking, you can see what we're trying to put together. We are in our infancy, but hopefully what we've managed to put up there makes sense. And if we can help any other club or supporters group do something similar or learn from each other, that's what it's all about. You know, we're we're people, people, and we're actually bothered. Mm -hmm. Not saying some people aren't, the echelons of football we're not going to go back to that part of the conversation (laughs) but we genuinely are and we want to help be part of evolving and improving the conversation and as we say tackle the silence
0: absolutely fantastic thanks simon thanks so much for your time and, and, uh, and for giving us a little bit of background and insight into talking
1: cherries pleasure take care and stay well i will do mate you too all the best
0: Huge thanks to Simon for taking part. You can find out more about Talking Cherries on their website, which is talkingcherries.org.uk or you can find them on Twitter at talking. Tomorrow, we'll be back with episode number four as we'll be speaking to Dave from Manchester St. Pauli. So hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. And thanks again for listening.